We're studying in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and so if you turn with me in the Gospel of of John to chapter 3, we're beginning chapter 3 this morning. If you remember, in our last study, we, we looked at a section of Scripture in which Jesus cleanses the temple. And thus far in our study in the Gospel of John, we've seen the Lord just do incredible miracles, changing water to wine and, and going in, in, into Capernaum and to other areas and just working in, in mighty ways. We see him specifically calling certain disciples to, to follow him. We, we saw last week that he goes into the temple and sees the, those that are, are, are selling the, the animals and the money changers and those that had taken God's temple, his house, and, and, and made it a, a house of merchandise. Just the incredible wickedness of that and him overturning tables and driving out the animals and looking at it and, and comparing it to, to the day in which we live today and in which there's those that would take the church and make it a house of merchandise. Those that, that say give money for healing or give money so that you can make more money. And making God's house one in which it's literally just a house of merchandise and just the overturning of tables that needs to take place there and even within our own hearts, within our own church, that we would be exalting him in all ways. But chapter 2 closes with specifically saying that that he, he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew as God, he knew everything that was in man's heart. He knows us. He knows everything about us, everything that there can be known about us. He knows us. He knows us, even our thoughts, even when they are still afar off. He knows them all together. There's nothing that could be hidden from his sight. And he knows each person here. He tells us that he knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up, and he knows you all together. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He's acquainted with all of our ways, and that is our God, a sovereign God who knows all things. And we come to chapter 3, and there is a Pharisee that is coming unto Jesus by the name of Nicodemus. And as this Pharisee comes, remember at the close of chapter 2, he knows this man as well. He knows his heart. He knows what's in this man's heart. He knows him all together. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. So let's read our text before us. There was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things. We'll see that he goes on and continues to give an answer to Nicodemus. But for sake of time this morning, we're going to stop at verse 10. We see this, this, this man that comes, Nicodemus. And we're told several things about him there in the first verses. First of all, he's a Pharisee. Um, he, is, he is one in, in, in which he's a part of that, that spiritual elite within Israel at that time. Someone who the Jews would, would look up to as one of the most righteous people in the land, like a keeper of the law. Not only that, but, but one of the most highly educated people. Nicodemus would have, would have been an expert in the study of Scripture. We, we, we see this, this man's life, and he would have been one in which, like the Apostle Paul, he would have looked at himself, the Apostle Paul who was a Pharisee before as well, and, and he would have looked at himself as far as, I keep the law. I keep it. I do everything that God tells me to do. They had rules upon rules upon rules of everything that they had to keep. They would look at the law and study it. And if it said that you weren't to work on the Sabbath, they went through and just had volumes of what these laws meant and how far you could go and how far you could walk before it was work or or how much you could lift and have it still not be work. I mean, there's just rules upon rules. And even to this day, if you go to Israel and, and you're there on, on the Sabbath, the elevator will, will stop at each floor as you go up. Reason being is, is lest you have to push a button to, to say floor 6 or floor 12. You, you just stop at every floor so that you don't have to do that. And... And he would have looked upon himself as, I, I keep the law. Not only that, but, but everybody would have looked upon him as, as a Pharisee, as, as one of the best people in all of the land. If anybody was, was righteous, it, it would have been a Pharisee. And that's how they viewed themselves as well. They looked at themselves and they, they would say things like what we see in Scripture of, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men like tax collectors, like, like sinners. I, I thank you that I'm not like them. And just incredible pride. So he was a part of, of that group. He was a Pharisee. Uh, we, we also see that, that he's given a Greek name. And most of the time, the Jews of the, at that time would have had either Jewish names or Arabic names, and, or Aramaic names. And here he, he has a Greek name, which... Lends us to, to believe that he's a part of the upper class. Um, he had a Greek education. His name means one who conquers the people. And so he would have been one that was not only highly educated amongst those in, in, in Scripture, but also highly educated just in the Greek educational system. And so respected. And, and being a part of that, very much a part of the upper class. It also says that he was a ruler of the Jews, which means that most likely he would have been a member of the Sanhedrin, 
which was the judicial and legislative authority in Israel. And so you had Pharisees, but you had those that were a part of, of, of that which were the ruler of the Jews. And, 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 and they established the law, they kept the law, they enforced the law. And in this particular time, you had the Roman Empire as well, which limited some of their power. But they were known as, as those amongst the Pharisees that were of the, the highest positions in, in the land. And so he comes here and, and refers to Jesus as rabbi, as teacher. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know this. We've, we've watched you. When he says we, more than likely, he's speaking of himself as well as some of the other members of the Sanhedrin or some of the other Pharisees. And they're looking, he's looking and saying, okay, we, we know that you're a teacher come from God. The reason why? For no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one can do the things that you do unless God is specifically with him. So we know that you've come from God. We know that we should listen to you. He's coming and yet it gives us a little hint here as far as, it mentions this a couple times in scripture, but this is the one who came to Jesus by night. It's not something in which I think he wanted to be seen in the middle of the day going to Jesus. But he goes at night. He goes at a time when, when no one else can really see what he's doing. He goes to him. Rabbi, and Jesus answers him. Now remember, as we just said at the end of chapter 2, Jesus knows everything that's in this man's heart. And Jesus answers him, and he says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this may be an unusual response to this particular Pharisee coming. We know that you're a teacher come from God. We know that, that, that no one else could do these signs unless God is with him. As a side note, um, there are people who will do signs and wonders. Um, scripture warns us of people who do signs and wonders who, who are false prophets. There's, there's those that come and, and, and they may be just absolutely convincing of healings or other miracles that they do. And yet we see in Scripture that even Satan has the ability to work in people to create miracles and do signs and do all kinds of things, even mimicking things that God does. And yet it's not from God at all. And that's why he warns us that, that to beware of, of people like this. Um, there's even those that would say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things? And his response to them is, depart from me. I, I never knew you. And so, signs and wonders doesn't necessarily mean that this particular person has come from God. So he starts out on a false premise of, you did these signs, therefore you must come from God. Comes to him by night. But Jesus responds and says, most assuredly, this is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this man comes to saying, we know that you've come from God. And Jesus' response is, this is true. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cuts right to 
the greatest need that this man has. Unless someone is born again, there is no possible way to see the kingdom of God. Now we look at Nicodemus, and as we look at Nicodemus, I see him as a representative of us all. Any one of us could have come to Jesus at that particular time and seen the signs, seen all that he had done, been there to where he changed water into wine, witnessed these things, and come to him and and just said, okay, you, you had to have come from God. How else do you do all of these things? And I think that any one of us would have got the same response here that Jesus gives to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. As we look at this, this is of utmost importance for us. It's vital for us. Unless each and every individual here in this sanctuary, in this city, in this nation or world, is born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to be born again. That phrase, being born again, one in, in which... I think it was a more popular term there in, in the 70s. Uh, you, you're a born-again Christian. A big deal when President Jimmy Carter said that he was a born-again Christian, referring to himself that way. You, you go to places like Romania or other countries, and to this day they'll say, like, you know, like, well, this, this person, they're, they're Pentecostal. This, they're, these ones, they're Baptist. Um, are you one of those born-again Christians? That's like, that's like the part that you, if you're a born-again Christian, you're a part of a cult. That's like those that are shunned there in, in Romania as we serve there. But you'll, you'll hear people say, like, are you, are you one of those born-again ones? And our, our response should be like, well, there really is no other kind. When you look at Scripture, Jesus is saying, if, if you want to see the kingdom of God, You have to be born again. If we want to spend eternity with Christ, if we want to be clothed with his righteousness, if we want to see God, we must be born again. We must be made alive spiritually. We're not just in need of of healing. We're not just sick and in need of being made well. We're not in, in a place where we just need a little help to get in the right direction. Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus and say, you, you come from God. We know that you come from God. And Jesus didn't respond by saying, hey, Nicodemus, you, 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 got, you got everything almost right. I mean, you're, you're doing great. If you could just change this one area of your life, you'll be okay then. No, his response is, there's no chance of you ever seeing the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You need to be totally and completely transformed. You're spiritually dead. You need to be made spiritually Alive. You look at the description of, of a Christian found in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The knowledge of that, to be a Christian, you're made a new creation in Christ. Scripture's so clear on this as far as regeneration is what it's called, being born again, what takes place when that happens. And for some of you, 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 you maybe remember the exact day, the exact moment when that happened. 
you're a Christian and, and you're, you became a Christian maybe as an adult and you look and you think, okay, God met me at this particular point. Before that, I saw no need of having God in my life. I didn't see myself as a sinner. I didn't see myself as someone who was, was in need of the cross or the gospel or the blood of Christ to cover my sins. I thought I was totally okay. I thought I was totally fine. And then all of a sudden, my my eyes, which were blind, were open, and I saw that I was in desperate need of the grace of God. And I prayed, and God took this load off of me and changed my heart and made it so I started desiring the things of God. I had, I had a desire to study his word or a desire to pray to him like I had never prayed to him before. I had a desire to, to sing praises unto him. I had a desire to be at church. I had a desire to grow all of my affections that would drive me towards my flesh and towards my sin everything that was like that, I started to not want to do those things. I started to hate those things. And there was just this radical change that took place in my life. And it was at that time that I was born again. It was at that time that I was regenerated. It was that time that, that my eyes were open and that I who was dead was made alive spiritually. And it, I can remember the day, you might think. And there's others of you, maybe you grew up in a Christian home like myself. And I, I don't remember the day. I, I don't. I, I don't remember a day in which everything radically changed for me. Um, I know that that day happened. I know that that moment happened. I know that my affections now are for the things of God. I desire the things of God. I want to please him. I want to honor him. But the exact moment of regeneration, I, I, I can't tell you the exact moment. I know it's happened, though, because there's a change that's taken place. But we must be born again. We must be changed. Jonathan frequently will, will ask me, well, what are you preaching on on Sunday? So last night, on our way to get dinner, he asked me, what, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And so I started going through the text for him. And his responses were similar to that of Nicodemus. Okay, so what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to, to, to have that happen? And I began to describe, like, you are alive right now, Jonathan. You're alive. You breathe. You, you act. You talk. You do all those things. But there's a difference between being alive physically and being alive spiritually. What takes place when you believe the gospel? What takes place in your heart when, when you have faith in Christ and you've been regenerated, there's a change. And you look, and, and whether it was at a specific moment where you remember or you don't know the exact day, there was something that took place in you that just, if you're a Christian here this morning, that just radically changed you. It's, it's amazing as far as you think of the changes that take place in our lives. Think of, of going from a place of being totally dead spiritually to being made alive. Going from a place of having been covered in your sin to having no sin at all and being clothed with the robes of righteousness of Christ. Going from a place of, of being an, an enemy of God to having the Holy Spirit residing within us and being radically changed, adopted into his family, a new creation in Christ, totally and completely reborn. And that's what took place. Trying to describe that to Jonathan, he's listening and saying, well, I think I'm born again. And to be able to go through and to be able to say, well, here's the evidences. 
of that. And we'll go over that in just a moment, but the evidences of being born again. Well, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How does this happen? If you tell me I must be born again, how does that happen? Born again? Do I need to enter my mother's womb for a second time? And Jesus answered and says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This particular verse is, is one in which you'll, you'll find different interpretations of it. Um, there's those that might say being born of the water is, is being baptized. And I'd say, no, that's not what it's saying. Uh, to, to say that, that, that baptism is necessary for regeneration would add something to, to faith in Christ in which it would contradict so much of the rest of Scripture that you're saved by faith alone. It's not faith that takes place in regeneration, that takes place upon baptism. Baptism is that which we do in obedience to Christ to, to be an outward example of what God has already done in our hearts and, and following him. We look and we see symbolism throughout Scripture. And in this particular case, I, I, I think that it's talking about God's word. Um, for example, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 23, I'll read it for you. It says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And you're born again. How did that happen? Not by a perishable seed, but an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like the grass of and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As we think of being born again, how does the Lord do that in our hearts? It comes through the proclamation of the gospel. It comes from his word being spoken to us. We see that he works that way in our lives. You think of, of the way in which the Lord caused you to be born again and he used the truths of scripture and specifically the gospel to do that we, we find it in, in Romans 10 where, where it says for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things then it goes on, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah has said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We see in scripture that they, there must be the proclamation of the gospel, the truths of scripture, which causes people to be saved. There's power in God's word. The Bible tells us that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the reason why you, you'll find... Here at, at Reverence Bible Church, we're, we're all about Scripture. We're all about what does it say in Scripture. Let's read the text. Let's read together as a church body this text. Let's study John chapter 3. 
Because there's something that happens, the Lord speaks specifically through his word, and the gospel comes as the word is proclaimed, and you may be thinking of that moment in which you heard God's word, and it was at that point in which the Lord used his word to bring regeneration in your life. Another example of, of the water being God's word. In James 1.18, it says, of, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How did he bring us forth? How were we born again? He brought us forth by the word of truth. In Acts 10.44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard what? The word. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. There's an example of a woman named Lydia in Acts 16 and verse 14 where she's there and it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The word of God that is going forth, the gospel that is going forth, and the Holy Spirit works specifically in her life. So Jesus answers and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. He changes our hearts. He softens our hearts. He makes us who were spiritually blind able to see. These verses, to me, just bring incredible joy to me as I look at what God's done in my life and in your lives. He says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You get the same thing from the same thing. You look and you see from the flesh, you get flesh. You're born the first time from the flesh, you got flesh. There's something that takes place. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's a change that's taken place. James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says that in relationship to this text, he says, the reason why God does not save people on the basis of anything in them is simply that a sinful human nature will never be able to produce anything other than sinful human nature. The flesh produces flesh. It is possible to polish up a bit and, and put it in a good light so that it does not look quite so bad as it is, but it's still going to be sinful. He says, the natural man does, does not like this, of course. For most people spend much of their lives trying to improve the old nature. This may make life a little more bearable for other people, even for the individual himself. But from God's point of view, it is a bit like painting a pump that is over a well of bad water. It's true that a painted pump looks better than an old rusty pump. It is true that the pump can be elevated. It can be given a gold handle. A person can write poems about it, even construct a monument to it. But nothing that is done to the pump will change the fact that it is over bad water. No embellishment will change the fact that bad water comes from it. It's like us. I mean, you, you, you take us, and if, if we are this pump, and what we're over is just bad 
nasty, polluted water. It doesn't matter how beautiful we make that pump look. It doesn't matter whether we take something and take off any rust that's on there and cover it with a gold plate. It doesn't matter how beautiful that pump is. When you start pumping with that pump over that bad polluted water, out of that pump is going to come bad polluted water no matter what. No matter what. What we need is a new well. What we need is water that is pure. What we need is not just to clean ourselves up from the outside, but to be totally and completely changed. That which comes from the flesh is still flesh no matter what. And so you look at people and you'll see that they'll try to change themselves. They'll look and say, I need to change. I need to change. I need to change this about my life. I lose my temper too much. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop being addicted to this particular drug. I got to... I got to just change things with my kids. I got to change the way that I'm living. I got to work harder. I got to just redo all my goals. I need to just change myself. And you could change yourself and you could start looking a whole lot better on the outside. But it doesn't change the fact that when Nicodemus comes, God's saying, no, changing yourself is not what it's all about. It's not just fixing this part of the law and making it so you're more obedient in this area. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. You need a new well. You need to be born again. You need to be radically changed to where you're a new creation in Christ to where all that was old is gone and it is all new. There needs to be a change within your heart to where you're covered with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, think of the difference. For the unbeliever, they're in a place of covered in sin. Scripture talks about it so clearly that the wrath of God is upon them. They're still by nature children of wrath. It doesn't matter whether they're better than most people. It's the fact that there's sin that's there that pollutes the whole thing. You'll see in Scripture things like where he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. From a bad tree comes bad fruit. From a bad well comes polluted water. All of it is the case straight up the line for the unbeliever but for the christian it's just radically different for us isn't it you look at for us and and from a good tree tree bears good fruit the leaven has been removed the sin is gone he tells us things like he hurls it into the depths of the sea he remembers it no more as far as the east is from the west so far as he removed our transgressions from us He's taken a righteousness that's foreign to us, the very righteousness of Christ, and he places it upon our account to where when God sees you as a believer, he sees you as a new creation that is covered with Christ's righteousness. It's just radical to think about. The change that's taken place, you're no longer dead, you're alive. It's totally different. You may look the same on the outside. You you may look shiny and, 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 and still everybody sees you as golden or you may be pretty rusty. On the outside, you still may look like that particular pump, but down below, you are totally and completely a new creation in Christ. I love this. I, I, I love that, that Christ tells me things like that I can approach his throne boldly because I have a righteousness that's not my own. I love, I love the fact that, that I've been brought into his family. He tells me that I'll be with God, that I will see him, that there'll be no more sin for all eternity in heaven. 
I love how he tells you, you once were afar off, but now you've been brought near. I I love how he gives us pictures in scripture where there's the temple and there's the veil that's there and there's the holy of holies and you're not able to go in there except for the high priest once a year. And what does Christ do right after he's crucified? He causes that, that veil to be torn in two from top to bottom so that it's just this picture to everybody, this big, thick veil which never could be torn in two. God tears it in two from top to bottom to be able to show us You're a new creation in Christ now through faith in him to where you are able to go into the holy of holies and to be with him. Our salvation is just radical. I mean, to think you, like with all of your sin that you've ever committed throughout the entirety of your life, to have it totally and completely removed and to have the righteousness of Christ, to think of the law and all that the law demanded and to find yourself guilty under the law and then to find that, He sees us as as those which have kept the law perfectly because Christ kept the law perfectly. I I think of of being in heaven and being there and and, and being before God who cannot be a part of sin whatsoever and being there solely because he has caused me to be born again. He has regenerated me to make me who was dead alive. He's changed the well. Changed it completely. Completely. It's the gospel. He says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel about that. You must be born again. Every person in this sanctuary must be born again. We see that Scripture tells us things like in 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whoever's born again overcomes the world. Change has taken place. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. In John 6, 63, it says, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. You must be born again. He's our life. He's the one who changes us. Jesus says things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must have new life. John also said in 1 John 5.11, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You have to be born again. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. If you are not born again, if you do not have the Son, if your hope is not in Christ, if your hope is not in the gospel, you do not have life. You must be born again. This is something that had been prophesied far before as well. You see in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 where where 
God says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I'll give you a new heart. This is what I'm going to do, God says. And we look at this and you go through these first 10 verses of chapter 3 of, of, of the book of John and you, you can't go through these verses without giving all the glory to God for our salvation. You can't. I mean, the, the, he's going through and talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which is of the flesh is flesh, but that which of the spirit is spirit, you must be born again. The Holy Spirit must cause you to be born again, to be regenerated, to be made alive. It must happen. Look at verse 8. He says, the, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You think of the wind that's out there. The wind blows. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. You, you, you're outside and you feel it, don't you? You feel the wind. You know that it's windy. You see the, the results of the wind. There's, there's leaves on the ground. There's pollen in the air. Your hair gets messed up. Mine doesn't, but yours might. You, you look and you, you see the results of the wind. But it blows where it wishes. It comes from someplace and blows where it wishes. And Jesus' response is, so is everyone who's born in the Spirit. So is everyone who's born in the Spirit. Meaning, you must be born again, and it is the Holy Spirit who does that in our lives. I look at this particular passage and... One of the reasons it gives me such great joy is because I see God doing it all. You think of how you became a Christian. And you may have researched. You may have a history if I looked into all these different religions. And I started studying scripture and I saw that the Bible had all these prophecies and they all came about just as God had said. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. And how could that be possible? And it was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors in three different languages on three different continents. And it's in unity from beginning to end. It just all made sense. I studied it and, 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 and Muslims say that they believe that the Bible is a holy book. And, and there's other religions that would look and say that Jesus is a prophet. But he totally contradicts what that particular religion says. So they must be wrong. And you may have reduced that from your thinking. But the bottom line is when you are a believer and you think, how did I get here? It is not because you did such good research. It's not just because you happened to be brought up in a family that was Christian. It's not for any of those reasons. It is because the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. But the fact is, is that the Holy Spirit came through and he caused you who were dead to be made alive. You will be in heaven for all eternity 
And you will be looking back and seeing your salvation and what you have been saved from. And I assure you that you will look and you will just look and say, all glory be to him. He caused me to be born again. I was blind. I was going in a direction opposite of him and he saved me. By the kindness of his Holy Spirit, he drew me unto himself. He revealed things to me. He used his word to act like a mirror. And I looked at it and I saw myself and I saw my need for a savior. And he did that. You'll look and you'll think in scripture where he says things like, there's none that seek after me. That none of us could come unless the father draws them. You'll look and you'll see he did it. I am a Christian today because the Holy Spirit caused me to be regenerated. He made me new. He caused me to be born again. Incredible salvation we have. A couple of texts just to leave you with on that subject. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to him. According to his mercy, he begotten us. He caused us to be born again. As we looked a couple weeks ago, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born, not of blood, not based on your family, nor of the will of the flesh. It wasn't based on your own will, nor the will of man, not the will of other people. But you were born of God. It was God that did that. Or Ephesians 2.4. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's him. He's caused you to be saved. Lastly, Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with you, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Nicodemus responds and says, how can these things be? And Jesus answers and says to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Meaning, you should know these things. We're not exactly sure what happened with Nicodemus. There's no evidence in this particular text that he's saved. He hears, but we don't know exactly what happens. We know what happened to another Pharisee. That's Saul, who became Paul. We know that God met him there on the road to Damascus. God said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We we see within Saul this radical change that takes place. We see him leave everything behind and follow Christ. We see him say things like, I count the things that were dear to me. All of the stuff that I was as a Pharisee. I counted as rubbish in comparison to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. There's this change, this radical change that took place in him. 
and likewise for the believer. We look and we see the evidences that we're born again and that there's, that is that there's been change. I got to think that there's people in our congregation this morning, some of you in whom you're just praising God and that he has saved you and caused you to be born again. Others of you who may be here this morning just saying, am I? And if I'm like Nicodemus, am I born again? My question to you is, who is your hope in? Do you hope in Christ for your salvation? When you think, I'm going to go to heaven, do you think, because I did all these things, or do you think, because he died on the cross for my sins, and he gave me his righteousness, and my hope is in Christ? Do you love him? Do you keep his commandments? Do you have a desire to do that? 1 John 2, 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Do you practice righteousness? Does your life look different than what it was before? Do you see new birth and evidences of new birth, birth in you? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus said, beware of false prophets in Matthew 7, 15. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Is there fruit in your life of salvation? It may be on the morning like today that the Holy Spirit is blowing in this particular place. And his word has gone forth. There's conviction of sin in your life. And it is on a day like today in which you are saved, in which you are born again, in which you come to a place of, I need him for salvation. I need to be forgiven of my sins. It is the most glorious thing because upon salvation and saying, Lord, I trust in you for my salvation and my hope is in you and in the cross and what you've done for me. We'll go on in the next couple of weeks. You're looking at where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you're here this morning saying, I want that. I believe in him. I tell you, just as surely as it says here in Scripture, that it is the Holy Spirit who caused you to be born again. And you will praise him now and for all eternity for what he accomplished in your life. When Nicodemus came, Christ made it very clear, you must be radically changed. You must be born again. And this is how it happens. It is the Holy Spirit that does that in your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text before us this morning. And Lord, I I know that you know the hearts of all people. You know why you brought people here today. And I pray, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would work so mightily in each and every heart that there would not be one person who leaves here this morning without being made alive in you born again, regenerated, radically changed, new creations in you because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
And as believers, we praise you. What a great salvation we have. And all of the glory for our salvation belongs unto you. Thank you, Christ. Thank you for what you've accomplished in our life. And may the joy of our salvation cause us to praise you now and throughout the entirety of this week. It's in these things that we pray. Amen.